Hello, this is the Organic BC Podcast, and I'm Jordan Marr, an organic corn grower from the Okanagan Valley and the show's current host. What you're about to listen to is a re-release of an episode originally produced for the 2022 BC Organic Conference. I hope you enjoy it. This is part two of our conversation with Carrie McCann and Andrew Budgel, co-owners of Laughing Crow Organics in Pemberton, BC. In this episode, Carrie and Budgie discuss their agritourism operation, maintaining a good relationship with landlords, how they avoid tension in their business relationship and friendship, and the division of labor on the farm. All right, that's it for now. I will talk to you in a bit. I really wish we could stay on this topic longer, um, but we could always maybe have you back on the podcast just to talk about weeding, but um, we're, we're going to move on. Um, I really want to hear about your agritourism, and I think you had better frame it in relation to your landlord, since as you referenced earlier, the they, they kind of went together. This like It sounds like because of the landlord developing that brewery, it, do I have it right? That kind of opened up an opportunity for you to consider agritourism because there were already going to be people coming there correct i think our i think what i think it was like i don't it was never overtly stated but i think it was kind of like to some degree it was contingent on that move like i i think the the millers were interested in supporting a new farm and they felt like uh an agritourism venture would would pair up with their beer selling and beer growing uh venture um and you know bruce has already grown a whole lot of potatoes because they're also a potato farm but they felt like you know if a vegetable farm would would be a great thing to have next to it and a couple cool uh attractions so i think that's yeah definitely that was that was the idea when we went there in our first year there we put in a pumpkin patch um so that was that's we started with the pump the you pick pumpkin patch um and then it was that winter that um that the concept of the sunflowers as an addition to the pumpkins kind of came into mind so that's where it started we read this article about a farm in ham i think it was hamilton somewhere outside like you know ontario um and it was it was this article about a this this sunflower farm that had decided they would they let people come to their, they, they, I think they started charging admission for people to come to their sunflowers. And the article was all about how they would never do it again because Toronto showed up and like people were climbing the fences and like, and, not, and they were I like remember a, this and ticking off neighbors totally. and stuff, right? Like, like their yeah, neighbors hated uh, them. I think the like road was clogged and, uh, and like Budge was like, Oh, we should do this. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, that's all horrible idea that's what that's like we talked about like that's what we need um Carrie wasn't totally on board but i feel like you were pretty quick i i like, did like, I, I changed my tune my knee-jerk reaction was like oh no that'll be horrible the humans can't be trusted um and then and then i kind of like i think i then we changed attitude around it and and talked to the millers about it and they felt like it was a great idea um, well brenda approached me this is bruce's Bruce's wife and she's the brewer at the at the beer farm. She she makes all the beer. She I think she approached us with that same article suggesting yeah. sunflower. And we were like, we're already on it. And we're, like, <laughs> we're gonna totally do this. Like the article talked about people climbing fences and like it was sounded miserable um in the sense of like it was like messing with this oil crop. Like they had a, these people were running like they had like a sunflower oil crop and 
and they were close to to Toronto, but we were we were we were so game for it. And man, like the humans like the sunflower. Well, it's okay, I but take can can we story. just can we back up for one second? How did the first year pumpkin patch go? Mm. Uh, it was um, the first year pumpkin patch was uh, it was like. I would, yeah, I would say we called it a success. We had a lot of pumpkins still in the field at the end of the season without um, an idea of it not working. Like for us, it felt like a success being that we grew a bunch of pumpkins. They actually ripened. Um, people came and we set it up as an honor stand for um, the majority. Like we were there on busy weekends or had someone there. Um, but it like... The community came out a lot of people that we spoke to in person were really inspired um, by the visit to the farm and that kind of cued um, one of the cool things that I think agritourism offers which is like the opportunity for people to have an agricultural experience that's relatable uh, to their life that also kind of empowers that um, that awe and sense of agricultural land and agriculture being valuable and i don't think that we can actually expect people to advocate for or to preserve and protect um, environments unless they understand it so that kind of that feedback from people in year one started to kind of i think led to the like oh this could be a positive thing in the community as well as um, something that could work for us but in that first year, I don't think we were like, oh, my God, this is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> and then no, there was, and it, well, you, you, okay. And then you added in the sunflowers. And so to pick it up from there, was it, was, was that gangbusters right away? You, I mean, you, you seem to suggest that budgie that the people were really, humans were really into it right away. Oh yeah. Like we, there's the, it was, it was impressive. We had no idea what, what was going to, like, it's not like we got mobbed, but but it, it, it pretty immediately became like, you know, a, a solid income stream for us. It, it felt good. We had like amazing feedback. Um, there was, you know, we set, we set it up as an honor stand to begin with. And I think by first year we were able to, we were able to afford to put, you know, somebody at like a greeter at the front to, to work it. Like it merited a little bit of labor and, and yeah, it, it felt, it, it felt good. Like the reality is, is, like the agritourism, well, the sunflowers are, you know, they're not a giant part of our gross income, but, but, you know, they, they, they're, they've been a, they've been a really good business venture right from the beginning. Yeah. And in that first year that we grew the sunflowers, we tried to time them to be blooming or in peak bloom for the slow food cycle, which is a large kind of like agritourism event that happens in the Pemberton Valley where kind of like the Meadows road would get shut down and, um, it used to be that farms would kind of like open their doors and set up and people would cycle up the road and tour different farms. Um, and that first year that we did the sunflowers, that event was still happening and it got a huge response. Um, I mean, you're kind of riding your bike up this beautiful agricultural valley and, you know, stopping at different farms. And then you come to our farm and you can get lost in this maze in the sunflowers. Um, and so for a lot of people, that was an experience they'd never had. And um, it turned out to be cooler than we anticipated it would be for people. Um, it was a really, it was just like generally, it was a really cool event. I think other one of the reasons also that the sunflower field does so well is like, you know, it's that time of year where, you've just got this huge block of nice weather. You've got this huge bunch of people that are looking for something nice to do. You've got 
you've got an activity that is exciting and and rewarding for like families to do together um and you know and the kids are off school so it, it doesn't like you know like the pumpkin patch check some of those boxes but it's certainly it's certainly going to take a whole lot more work to you know to build that up to create turn it into an income stream um you know like the sunflowers is just only you know you don't have as much daylight people are back at school you've got a bunch of rain days and people just the aren't pumpkin. out the, the pumpkins i mean yeah right yeah so you two what so as an enterprise is it profitable your agritourism enterprise I think that the caveat to that would be, um, I feel like um, that as an enterprise, it works hand in hand with the fact that we are a mixed vegetable farm and that the enterprise exists as a part, but not the whole of a farming operation. Um, so I, I feel like that makes it um, more easily successful. That is technically our only experience. Um, so maybe that's more opinion than fact. I think it, um, Budge, do you have something to add to that? Or? Yeah, I agree. I feel like people like it's, yeah, as, as, a, as a crop, you know, if you're looking at all the different crops that your farm grows when we look at the sunflowers, it's like, it's bringing in a bunch of dollars per, you know, it's, it's netting lots of money and it's grossing lots of money and more than a bunch of the other vegetables. But as, uh, like Carrie's saying, I think a, a lot, I, I'd like to think that a lot of the interest in, in, in our sunflowers is also like people feel like they're, they're showing up to a legit farm, like a real vegetable farm, a real potato farm, a real beer farm. And they've got this sunflower attraction and, and that's what people are telling us when they show up. So, um, uh, we think that really contributes. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. So I really, I want to dwell on this for a bit more, not so much on the pumpkin patch. Cause I think most listening can picture how a pumpkin patch more or less is going to function. Um, but I'd like, can you take me through how you've set up your, um, the sunflower patch in terms of, um, I don't know where it is on your farm in relation to people, where people park, what do they pay to access? Do you also sell the flowers as part of it? Like, just, just break it down for me real quick. We, the um, first year we did it on the opposite side of the road. We'll never do that again. We had lots of people walking across the road. Um, I'll describe the layout and then you can describe how the sunflower field works. Okay. Uh, it's the, the, we've already have parking. Like this is one of those silver linings of like working with the beer farmers. They've got a parking lot um, and a tasting room. So people can show up and have, you know, they can park in their parking lot and just wander over um, to the sunflower field. Um, yeah. And essentially what the, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot to it um, as, as far as like, what's going on we've we've grown a sunflower field we've cut a maze out of it and uh and and people it's a i think it's seven dollars seven dollars and you get just go out there wander around and we've created a little bit of an experience out there you can probably describe that okay yeah so like kind of in keeping with like the fact that like uh i guess it's something that i feel like we can use as leverage for like offering an agricultural experience is to try and do some education around that so um within like we cut a maze into the sunflower field and we build a couple of like uh, right now they're like pallet platforms where people can get up um because the sunflowers are quite tall um so the platform people get up on and they can see a field of sunflowers which is pretty spectacular um and there's a lot of selfie seekers so that's where you get your your picture and uh, and interspersed throughout the maze um we kind of include poetry um lots of wendell berry quotes and uh and then um 
information about pollinators. Um, I have a couple of like bee signs that kind of talk about pollinators, the types, because there are literally hundreds of thousands of them in the sunflower field, all gathering pollen. And it's constantly a, a speaking point to everyone who visits. Um, we generally, we have like a, a kind of like a, we build these sign boards. Um, so talk about cover crops and the importance of cover crops and the different types that we put in and why farmers grow cover crops. Um, we are using the sunflowers as part of the cover crop. So to try and give people um, reason to pause and also to like relate the experience to like putting together the pieces of like, oh, this is part of a food system. And this is also part of um, like this shared experience of agriculture that we can have. Um, you know, we wouldn't get the same feedback if we were to invite people to a cabbage patch. Um, although we could put selfie stations, I don't think we'd get as many people out. Um, but so generally like it is self-guided just in terms of like, uh, if you were to show up, we have a gate, uh, people have purchased a ticket beforehand. When COVID started, we kind of went to online ticket sales. And that was partly for like the restrictions around the number of people in a place. Um, and that also helps us in regards to parking and that we know we're not going to get mobbed on a given day. It might be busy, but we won't be like, there won't be like 500 people at, at the farm at a time. So that's helpful for us. And to the millers and out of respect for the land. Um, and then people just guide themselves through. Currently, we haven't had to put like a time, like allotment on the sunflower experience for people. We let people come in and out as many times as they want that day if they've purchased a ticket. Um, and this year with the temperatures, there, there was a lot of like people not, <laughs> not wanting to spend too long out there because it was really hot. But um, but that's kind of the experience. And, and typically we like, we kind of plant two successions to try and prolong the bloom for people. So they have like the first two weeks and then there's another field that blooms for another two weeks or that's our hope. It depends on the season. They are plants and it is growing. So. And I would really like to hear about some pitfalls or things to avoid or things you hate about having an agritourism operation, because there's gotta be some, answers to that, I would assume. I, I don't think I could say that there's something that I hate. Um, in that sense, again, like you have to bear in mind that like we, I, I do live at the property. I rent um, a, a place to live right at the farm. So there are like people around or in the yard most days. I don't hate that. Um, but I think the with most things, you can foresee what the problems might be for us venturing into agritourism, we thought that parking would be a problem. And again, the silver lining is the brewery. Um, but that is the what like the idea of there being too many people or not enough parking or like the worry would be like pissing off the neighbors or people on the road or something like that. And so far we've been um, pretty good at um, preempting that and managing it. Um, yeah, even hearing that question, I'm almost amazed. Like a lot of the obvious like things that you'd think would be like a, a huge pain in the butt about having like agritourism. Like we just, we don't have any, we don't have many really good stories. Like you've got your obvious stuff, like, you know, putting, you know, asking people to put their dogs on leash and not, it's not even close to our vegetable farm where I imagine there'd be a little bit more like concern about people stepping on plants or grabbing or taking stuff, but it's not even in that vicinity. And we're not too worried about people, you know, you know, walking, where they're not supposed to in that particular area. So it's kind of been amazingly 
low stress. Um, which, so yeah, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's sort of been impressive that way. Uh, I am, it's refreshing to hear. I, I, maybe it's, I, maybe I'm just have the wrong personality when I, when I picture what it would be like running one. Um, it, it, and we hear that all the time. I'm always <laughs> telling you, I, you need, you need I, a yeah. sunflower field. And it's like, there's so many farmers that I think I was talking oh. to, to Lydia at Cropthorne and uh, at the end of the year last year, I was like, you got to get yourself a sunflower farm. And she was like, not ever in this lifetime <laughs> ever. And we hear that all the time. And I think people have a bit of a different view of what it would actually be like. Um, cause you know, I don't feel like we really have to brace for it, but you definitely have a bunch of people around. We'd have them around anyways. We, we sell beer. Yeah. And I think that's like the piece is like a pen in hand, the sunflowers offer as like, um, they're kind of a compliment to the beer. And, and I mean, the other thing to remember is like in a public space, like, yes, there is of course going to be like the like 10% of people that you look over and you're just like, why don't they park like that? Or like, what is that human doing? Um, and you have to realize the human element is like someone lives in the city. They've never been out anywhere. They actually aren't considering all the things that seem second nature to us because of our lifestyle, our vocation. And, um, and then that's just the human thing that you learn compassion for and understanding for. <laughs> which it's is pretty easy to brush it off. Like it's it's like like we were saying, like it's it it's a good it that crop earns us some good dollars per unit work put out. So, you know, we I did like an agritourism uh field trip one day and I went out to see Willowview Farm and it's this super odd it's this really great like apple um, pumpkin patch thing and Murray the guy that runs it was like you know some people are going to rub you the wrong way a bit you got to remember like you got to factor that into your costs here because because that's that's one of the costs of, of doing this business and and I think it it earns enough that that doesn't bug you Budgie and Carrie I'd like to I'd like I'd like to move on to kind of the closing segment of our conversation oh. but is there anything else you want to say about the agritourism um, I think it would be uh, like for us, the opportunity to do this is provided by our relationship with our landlords. Um, and so we try and like the venture started as a way to complement their offering um, and to create a little more like positive visual sense of agriculture. Um, so, I mean, essentially our end of the year thing is we're normally pretty grateful or not pretty. <laughs> we're mm -hmm. grateful um, for that opportunity. It's been a really cool thing for our, to add to our farm enterprise and to do it as a compliment and kind of in relationship with the Millers has been um, a really rich experience for us. Well, thank you for the segue. I want to spend the rest of our conversation talking about relationships on your farm. And maybe we can start with, with the relationship with your landlord. Um, maybe I'll just jump right to it. What insights have you gained with two farm landlords in terms of how to, how to best manage a relationship with a landlord on a farm? Hmm. That's a cool, that's an interesting angle. And, and cause well, it's something we definitely talk about a whole bunch. Um, first off, like we found a lot of silver linings in this, in this whole leasing land arrangement. Like, you know, aside from the fact that we're, you know, we're missing that piece of our business, like the real estate, investment part of the business um, and we're kind of trying to figure that out but we uh we've really we've really got a lot of great stuff out of it but for sure it's taken a whole lot of compromise and i think we i think like maybe like the way we approach it is we absolutely appreciate that we sign these we sign these lease agreements and 
and it be, and it you know from there we sort of treat it as like this this con- we are constantly managing it and you know there's there's a there's a cost to those guys you know you when you pay for a lease there's a, there's some money exchange but i'm not i'm not i'm not sure you know that that alone it takes a bit more than that like you're in somebody else's space um so we've always sort of approached it as like hey let's 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 always negotiate let's always do our best to see how we can make how we can make this work for everybody. And so there's been like a whole lot of talking, everybody being super open. Like when we signed that lease with Scott and we signed that lease um, with Bruce and Brenda over there, it was not just walk away and treat that ground as your own. It was like, get them involved, let them know what you're doing, get a feel for what they'd think of it, maybe make some adjustments. And on some level you'd think, you know, maybe that might seem like it would have been inconvenient, but for us, mostly that ended in all sorts of cool discussions with other farmers um, or other workers, or, you know, in Scott's case, a builder that kind of worked with us in this, these things. So those relationships we kept, they're, they're constantly being managed. It is kind of an extra thing. Um, and it, and it isn't like owning your own land, but, but in our case, it's it's really meant often having another another head on the job, and every, you know, we've, I guess we've got maybe we've also gotten lucky. We're we're you know releasing from another hardworking farmer that knows what it takes to be out there and knows that it gets real messy. And I can imagine that leasing arrangement could get harder with different people. But we've kind of felt like a whole lot of whole lot of talking, a whole lot of foresight, letting them know, letting folks know what you're going to do, and letting and getting a feel for how they feel about it because there's always lots of options, right? So I think. I think if there was like a like an overarching uh, piece that we use in dealing with um, the folks that we're leasing land from is that we we're pretty flexible. There's so many different ways to run a farm, so it's kind of nice to to not create friction there. And like the other thing to add to that is like in both of our leasing situations, like the strong relationship that we ended up leaving with Scott, we still have a really great friendship um, with that person. But both. Scott and the Millers live on the property where we're farming. Um, so they're present in our daily lives. And that has become like a source of richness more than like th- that would just, I think, period. It, uh, it's just really cool. In our move to the Millers, um, we moved to a farm where like they ran a mixed vegetable farm and did a box program like over 15 years ago. Um, and there's Bruce's farm, the land that we're growing on, um, his whole life. And that's a wealth of information. Um, and just, it's, it's kind of a privilege to get access to that. And so to steward that relationship in the same way that we want to steward the soil and the water that we're growing on as farmers, I, I think that like the land lease relationship kind of falls in, in maybe a similar category as like, and I think okay. it's interesting to, to, yeah, the, like, well, like you were saying, you were, you were saying we're like, we're on there, we're at their space and they live there. And I think that's unique to the type of land leases that we're doing. You got land leases where, you know, you're like, there's guys that are like leasing, you know, like a hundred acres that somebody else owns for some grain crop and they're going out there and, and working the ground. And that's a little different. Like we're walking across the Miller's front yard on the way to our on the way to our wash station so it demands a whole lot of a whole lot of a whole lot of work and and it's certainly nice that we're friends i uh my my partner vanessa and i had a six-year lease that ended a few years ago that was 
pretty successful and we're still very close with those landlords. And the, nice. the point early on that we really realized it was going to work was when we kind of all realized at once, the two couples, the owners and us, the renters, that, that, that both sides weren't, weren't first thinking, what are we getting out of it? We realized that both couples were tended towards thinking, are, is the other couple getting enough out of this? Like, like putting, putting the concerns of the other first. And I think when we all kind of clicked on that at the same time that that was happening, we all like realized this was going to work long-term. Yeah, exactly. That's, that sounds like a working um, lease relationship. And I think that's, I mean, maybe any business relationship too um, can go with that, but that's definitely, that sounds like a great way to articulate the theme. Yeah. Well, the, 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 I, if, if I were to like categorize and we were sort of talking about how we would talk about land leases and we don't want to talk about, well, we don't want to talk about what other people are doing wrong. We want to talk about what we're doing right. But one of the, I will touch on one thing we, we kind of see, we've seen lease relationships break up and it feels like it, when it comes from a place of somebody coming in on a lease and feeling like, you know, cause the way that the way those that's legally written out, it's kind of like, this is your land to do as you please until your lease is over. And if you operate like that, it's you're not going to be there to renew um you've like you you've got like it's it's a it really is a give and take like you said you're worried about how they're going to feel about stuff and they're worried about how you're going to feel about stuff and hopefully it, it as a result having each other around makes life richer it has for us so i'm going to move on to the last topic which is the relationship between you two it's been the one i've, I've probably most been looking forward to i'm going to start with you budgie what 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 would you say is are, are the you know skills or characteristics or traits of carries that you're most grateful that your business partner has? Right. So Carrie's like, you know, at the onset, like we've already discussed, she had a real good feel for like how the plants grew. We, we kind of grew 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 through that, and we both saw some plants grow. But that, you know, that unveiled a whole bunch of other stuff. We think very differently. Um, I'm like this, you know, I think I'd be described as like being very data driven, um, super evidence based, carries like super heart driven, feel based. Um, there's there's definitely we're both getting little pieces of each of each other's stuff. But as far as like, um, you know, operating, making quick decisions in the chaos, Carrie's got like this great intuition of knowing, you know, what to do on the spot where I want to stand around and think about it or go look into something. And and sometimes that's exactly what you need. Um, dealing with personnel and, and, and the crew and just getting, getting a good feel and making people feel really good and relating to folks. Um, that's, that's all Carrie and that's a huge part of a successful farm. And then, you know, the other, the other part is, um, organizing just having well carrie's just a much better field worker than i could ever be if i tried like no matter no matter how hard i tried so carrie's out there setting an example teaching people how to do it in a way that's actually quick um like you know i can go out there and offer some ideas as to like a quick way to bunch up bunch up kale but the reality is i don't do it very quickly um so she's really good at that and that's her gig um we have very once we get once we get into the execution mode of the farm we have some pretty different roles um 
and uh, and I think those are sort of our different our different personalities and our way of approaching problems and the types of problems that we encounter. I think are are, are really valuable for that. Carrie, how about you? What do you most appreciate about having Budgie as a as a business partner? Um, like first off, the willingness to like actually continue to participate in the endeavor. Um, but the yeah, I mean, like he said, there's like we. I think that the strengths that each of us derive is like, oh, he's an amazing questioner and researcher um, and thinks about things quite differently than I do. Um, but it becomes one of my strengths by proxy. Um, because <laughs> not necessarily that it's physically mine. It is, but I kind of use it. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that compliment, uh, it's been such a pleasure and like gift to get to build um this this dream um with this person and like i think we're both richer for what each other offers um and yeah like he was saying like in we kind of do a lot of collaboration a lot of cooperation and we give each other a lot of different support and i'm really grateful for that too um of just the other mind sometimes it's we're not always on the same page but being able to um to see each other's perspectives and and kind of hold that and build something that honors like both if it's a different difference of perspective but just the building together i think it takes the that like a different way of thinking about something a hunger for improvement <laughs> that um been kind of typical to our evolution has been like oh how could we do it better what can we improve um and constantly learning i think those are some of his strengths that i just have the utmost admiration for and i also have to just put in like i don't think our business relationship would have succeeded had he not had um like a very similar work ethic to me um I, th I could see where that would be difficult in just like that we're not uh, like a relationship partnership. We're not the stereotypical um, like couple. Um, we're friends running a business together. If we didn't have the same work ethic, um, it would probably be difficult. Um, and we do. And I'm, I just feel like that's um, such a gift. Man. Yeah. Just the amount of work that Carrie's willing to do is, is, is <laughs> Like I think, Eva, like I think that's that's just, that's like a tr that's a trait of all of all of us try like or you know we don't have much choice. I'm sure you must must have felt that for some years that unearth like just this crushing amount of work and you know being working with somebody that's you know rarely interested in just saying screw this this isn't this isn't for me. Like it really takes a, a unique person and and so yeah that's that's the the willingness to work as hard as as we often need to is is a, is a huge trait have you I, have you have you two had your moments over the years i mean is it have there been have there been like how often do, how, how often does tension come up in in your business partnership i i'd qualify often like we, we <laughs> like, no like for sure there's lots we we solve problems differently we have different solutions and we're pretty hard-headed about it um over the years, we definitely we're, we're we're quite good at taking that, putting that tension aside when we're executing and getting out there and getting it done. Um, but I would describe our 
yeah, like I think that's that's something we're maturing about, and we definitely had the the drive to keep the project together, but through but there were certainly some some super hard times, and it's easy in in December to look back and be like, yeah, we just you know we support each other and we work, but we like you know, and we do because we get through it and we execute really well. And we, we go out there as a united front and we know what's important and what needs to happen. But yeah, there's, there's loads of tension. We don't, we don't agree on, on lots of stuff, but we, there's not many days that we, we, you know, in those days of tension, we know that we finish it up with at least a high five and we'll figure it out or, or that type of stuff. Like we know what needs to go on. Yeah. that. Well put. <laughs> Have you? Are there any? Are there any insights you've made or tips you can share that you've learned over the years um, in terms of uh, like just making it work? I feel like I'm I talking mean, a lot, but uh, Carrie, just kind of give you like a, a well. Go go ahead, and I just have like a suggestion as a thought for that. <laughs> it seems um, like a cool. It seems like a cool time to talk about the division of labor, and because we we were. I think you'd do a good job of talking about that. Like we kind of like, there was a time when our jobs were kind of blurred as a one, one of the same. And eventually we divided and conquered in the execution stage. And I think that was helpful. What, what do you think about talking about it that way? Yeah, I guess I could speak to that as like in the first few years of the farm, essentially we two were like, um, it was just the two of us. Um, and we did everything because we were learning how to do all the things. And we had, um, a vested interest in learning all the jobs and being capable of doing all of them. And then as our farm enterprise grow, grew, um, it became harder for us to like be doing all the jobs together all the time. And so there's this natural evolution of kind of like taking on different roles on the farm. But the, the underlying theme for that is like there's, we are in Canada farming. So we do also get the winter to plan and, you know, as our farm enterprise has evolved, that is kind of like a full-time job in the winter as well. Um, but we have this time where we collaborate and cooperate, um, support one another. We go over everything. We make plans and contingency plans um, and kind of try and think of all the things, as most people do in the winter. And then together, in, <laughs> together we do that. And there's a, a whole lot of oversight and support in our different jobs. And we still kind of have different like jobs but we collaborate a lot on in kind of every aspect of the farm in the winter and then in the summer we kind of move to the execute part where as the season starts to open up um, then our roles differ a little more um, because we're executing the farm plan we're we're kind of like taking it out of the box uh, you have a cool way of speaking about the farm um, budge i would maybe add that like for like one of my roles is more um, like running the crew and I'll often tell people or describe it in the way that like the, in the spring, the farm is this blank canvas and together with everyone, we're, we're creating this like beautiful masterpiece over the season. And like you think of August as like, that's before you kind of make the Bob Ross, like little, Oh, we'll call that a little squirrel over there. Um, but, um, but we're, we're building something beautiful and that, piece of execution is kind of like we've made the plan we have an idea and then we go out and cultivate all of it um did i get lost in there budge no <laughs> but as far as the division of labor our law our, our roles are very 
very blurry and very similar in the winter time. Like we're working, we're working on planning and there's no pressure in the winter and there's no deadlines and there's lots of possibilities and the bugs aren't eating your crop and, and you're not like having like some, you know, you're not too hot and underslept and stuff. So there's lots of, there's lots of opportunity for us to talk about different decisions. But yeah, the point is like when we, when we, once we've sort of designed, we always think of it like in the winter, we're designing this machine, we're building the farm monster. It's like putting it together, cobbling it, making it look just right. But when we take this thing out into the field, we kind of like assume totally different battle stations and we're responsible for reacting in our own domains. We can look for advice. Sometimes we'll fight over it, but there's somebody in charge. So, you know, you know that, you're contributing and you're making suggestions you're not in charge of these pieces of the execution um and i think that's i think that's really valuable to us because you know there's not any right decision in a lot of these like running a one of these vegetables farms is just so freaking hard and there's so many decisions to make like i, I really it's like it's been such a tough thing for us and and there's a lot of different ways to to solve a problem and you can't have too many heads on the same problem so i think us yeah. dividing and conquering in the season is has been really valuable in us getting along and that was kind of a natural wasn't overtly because there was a lot of tension but it, it certainly relieved a bunch of it in season because man when you're under pressure like that so could we go into a bit more detail on how you two have divided up like all of the different management of the farm um yeah so as we were saying earlier, there's kind of the winter time of um, of co-creating and putting together the plan, and then in in the season, our roles kind of divide um, a little more. Um, and maybe, Bud, you can chime in um, when you want, but kind of like as specifically, like um, Budgie is uh, like our office manager um, and does the books of the farm, which is a huge job, as everyone probably knows who's farming, um, and then does like irrigation, cultivation, um, field layout, um, a bunch of the field prep and is also kind of like more than me in line with like our um, fertilization plan and our kind of like amendments to the field, everything like that. Um, and then I end up kind of uh, being field manager, running the crew, um, organizing our like harvest um, projections and running markets and organizing the CSA. Um, it's kind of like the division. Um, and then we both support one another in those roles. Do you want to add to that, Budge? Or? Yeah, I think like a big, uh, like, yeah. And I, and I do a bit, a little bit of repair. <laughs> oh, yeah, a little bit. Sorry. I guess. It feels like we realized at a certain point was like, man, we have all these machines and we're mechanizing. And it's this, it's like, it, it was like, you know, just keeping the water flowing and all of the machines actually running as well as the office stuff that we've decided that was a full-time job and having sort of a single voice running running the crew um, one at a time um, felt obvious, obviously really a really clear way of keeping everybody on the same page. So yeah, Carrie runs the crew and I'm kind of repair and putting out fires and and communicating in the office with people. That's That's kind of the... That's sort of the the division. If you showed up to the farm, you it often feels like Carrie's running the whole show. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the the people would laugh and be like, "Oh, in the summer, the crew would know that like Budge is the fixer and I'm the finder. So oh, he fixes well, everything and I find so all the everything." <laughs> I, I, Carrie, I thought you were going to say he's the fixer and you're the breaker because uh, of kind of one implies <laughs> the other. But... Or you're the winner and I'm the loser. <laughs> What about, Mar like uh, 
what about marketing and distribution? How do you divide that up? Um, it's kind of a shared in that, like, I don't do the office work of the CSA um, or the communication so much. I just do the, like, I, the box plan, harvest forecast, um, all of that stuff. And we kind of share marketing and social media. So the, our Instagram account is both of us. Um, and then I, currently for marketing, we still kind of, actually, I think this year that was a role that Budge took on more than me in liaising with like promoting um, the sunflower field. And we actually have a returning employee who helps us with the social media aspect of that. Um, so it is something that we're kind of like leaning into someone else's strengths for a little bit. We're, we're slowly starting to do get a, a little bit better at sort of delegating these tasks to other people. So, we, you know, we, we saw the value in, in splitting up our work and having us concentrate on certain jobs. And now we've got these employees coming back, these workers that are like so like such integral parts of the farm and know how it works almost as well as we do. So we're starting to hand off these jobs to, to other people. So yeah, the social media was one of them um, for the sunflowers, which was awesome. Next year, we're going to have we're gonna have a couple crew running the running some of the daily happenings on the farm. Like we're we're pretty excited about that. We're leaning into that that type of management right now. And and something I could add to like just returning to the question of like, oh, do we have like something that um, evolved for like been, has been successful for us in problem solving? And I think the the, the piece that I could say in that is that. Um, despite like we can there can be tension we can have different opinions but in terms of like when it's time to make a decision i fully trust that both of us the decision we're both interested in making is what is best for the farm and the farm is not me or budge it's something that we have co-created and it's a shared process and so the decision that we're both looking for and i trust that completely is like what is best for the farm and when you give up being right and in and put in like the right thing, like what is right for the farm, um, that makes a lot of the decisions feel better. Like the we're just being human when like I'm trying to be right or Budgie's trying to be right, but when we're trying to do the right thing for this beautiful thing we've co-created, um, I think we're on the right path of decision making. And that's maybe a way to look at it that could be helpful but I don't have <laughs> I, I think that is a very lovely place to stop. Uh, we've, we've only scratched the surface. Um, but at the same time, you've, you've provided, uh, a lot of insights for your colleagues around the province and elsewhere. And, um, I want to thank you very much. Thank you, Carrie. And thank you, Budge. Right on. Yeah, Cheers, yeah. Jordan. That was awesome. Okay, that's it for this episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. Hey, did you know that all of the music for this podcast is the work of, like, a pretty big deal in the jazz world? And did you know that the artist is the dad of one of your colleagues? I'm talking about jazz flutist Matt Eckel and his daughter, Aubin Banwell, co-owner of Spray Creek Ranch at Lillooet. A big thank you to Matt, who not only let us use the recording you're listening to now, but also recorded seven different transitions for us for moving between segments. If you want to listen to Matt's music, this song is called Grand's Blues. The album it's from is called Flute Jazz, and Eckel is spelled E-A-K-L-E. Thanks again, Matt. There's not much more to say, 
So we'll finish things off with my four-year-old son, Levon, reciting clauses from the Canadian Organic Standards General Principles and Management document. 6.14.1 If required for comfort and security, rabbits may be temporarily confined, for example, overnight in cages or hutches. Continuous confinement is prohibited.